Hello, and welcome to another DBSA podcast. This is episode number 123. And in this episode, Jane and I are going to talk about romance novels, because that's what we do here. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me is Jane Litt, who's from Dear Author. Today we have a letter from Kendall, who wanted to get recommendations for epistolary romances. And to be honest with you, epistolary is one of my favorite words to say, because it sounds like it's something naughty, but it's not really. And then we're going to talk about what we're reading, including a book that Jane and I agreed on. Um, The fact that this is happening so early in the year is only a little alarming. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Wicked All Night, the latest sizzling hot novella in the Wicked Lovers series from New York Times bestselling author Shayla Black. You can download this on January 20th, whenever or wherever ebooks are sold. The music that you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is. And of course, the information is also in the show notes, which are on both Smart Bitches and your author. And now, on with the podcast. We are starting this podcast with a short email from Kendall. Kendall writes, Dear Sarah and Jane, I have been on a podcast binge lately and finding your book recommendations quite helpful. I have an overly long list of to-be-bought or borrowed titles in my day planner right now. I'm hoping that you might have a few suggestions for a very specific type of romance, the historical epistolary romance novel. I'm an avid letter writer, and I love stories involving letters between characters. For example, I utterly adored My Sweet Folly by Laura Kinsale and To Sir Philip with Love by Julia Quinn. Unfortunately, I have had a hard time finding others like this. Protagonists falling in love through the written word is my total catnip, and I would appreciate any help you can provide in finding more like this. Thanks, Kendall. Oh, Kendall, um, you might want to buy a whole second day planner because we, we have a lot of recommendations for you. The one that sticks out in my mind has always been the Connie Brockway one. My Dearest Enemy? Yeah. Have you read that one? Oh, yeah. I read all of her books before she she kind of dropped off the face of the earth and then she went to Amazon. Mm-hmm. I haven't. I read part of her first book from Amazon and it just it didn't have the same flavor for me you know what's weird is that I really love Connie Brockway's books I generally haven't reread them for a long time occasionally I'll pull out like a Julie Garwood or like a Loretta Chase or Joan Wolfe there's some authors I reread regularly as much as I have great memories of Connie Brockway's books, and I think she's a terrific writer, am I even talking about the same author? I'm looking at her historical romance. <laughs> I'm like, wait. <laughs> Are you talking about the wrong person? Well, she wrote all through the night, right? Yes, yes. Same author. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. I'm looking at her newer books. I'm like, I haven't even read these books. Who is this person? <laughs> am I getting her confused? Because, you know, those Avon authors... Even though they were different, I got them. They were all kind of smushed together in my head. Oh, no, I totally what you know what you mean. There's a couple authors whose names I completely mix up when I try to remember their titles. So, yeah, Connie Brockway's uh, My Dearest Enemy was the first book that had come to mind because they actually include letters. I mean, I feel like in an epistolary romance, if there's no actual letters in the text, it's not a true epistolary romance. And there's also degrees, like is the entire thing told in letters or is it just an accent that's sort of a heavy element to the storytelling? 
Like there's a, a Meg Cabot novel that I really, really enjoyed called The Boy Next Door. And it's all in email and letters. Right. But there's this one scene at the end of the book because every single part of the book is an email or a letter. There's a part at the end when, you know, bad stuff is happening and she's sitting in the stairwell with her laptop writing a letter. I just heard the door open. The bad guy's coming down the stairs and I'm like, pick up your laptop and run, dummy. What are you doing? So the the idea that you have to sustain it all the way through the book can make it really, really tricky when there's so, bad guys. <laughs> right. So like a book that I remember, it's kind of a love story is Griffin and Sabine. I don't, do you remember this? It no. Came out, it came out in 1991 and it was really kind of neat because it's a smallish book and it actually contains the letters. That's all it is, is the letters and it's small, the letters that the couple exchanges Ooh. And it's, there's gra there's kind of like little, not graphics, illustrations and things. And it, it's not a pop-out book, but it has artifacts in it. I didn't, Ooh. I guess there's other books in the series, but I never read anything beyond the first book. I honestly can't tell you what the story is about. I just remember being kind of enchanted with the paper production of this book, which was unusual. That is cool. I imagine very expensive and impossible to do now. Um, no, it's like $15 on Amazon. Oh, really? Uh, cool. Yeah. So, so I mean, if you really love epistolary romances, you might want to look into Griffin and Sabine. Um, so those are the two things that I had come up with. Those are, <laughs> I, those are my assignment <laughs> for the podcast. I was doing a Google search. One of the things that popped up was it one of your daily deals posts. Oh, this is from like last month. Almost like being in love by Steve Kluger, which is a, a male male. But I think that's that's contemporary. Yeah, I, I think that that's right. I love that yours is the first thing that comes up. GS versus STA. Oh. <laughs> yeah, good shit versus shit to avoid. <laughs> yeah. I, I am very sad that often when I research something, I end up pulling up my own website and going, oh, wow, I wrote that. That's amazing. I had no idea. I didn't remember it at all. I, it, my memory is a sad thing. And it's, and it's weird because you had recommended that, that historical romance by Aaron Satie about the woman who brews ink, the love oh, knot. Did it was I, I saw that you liked that book and I thought, holy shit. I know. <laughs> I, it is so, a rare um, thing. I know. It's how funny. Well, we'll have to talk about that book. The Goodreads list of popular epistolary romances made me laugh so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Did you look at it at all? No. What does it have on it? They also include Fifty Shades. Was there, I mean, I admit, I didn't read um, part two and part three. Um, so maybe that there were letters in there, but I don't remember any letters in the first one. Well, there were email messages. Okay. And there was a handful of them. And I remember them because that was the only part of the book that I liked. Oh, you know, I do remember the emails. It was so funny though. Um, doesn't, didn't, um, E.L. James admit that someone else wrote those? What? No, I didn't know this. Are you kidding? Yeah. Okay. So a friend of hers or something was the person who actually wrote like the, um, the email exchanges from, uh, what's his face? Somebody else wrote that. Yes. 
Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh my dear I'm lord. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty wow. sure I read that somewhere. Oh my god. Well, you know what? Those were the best part of the of the book for me because it was I think I even said that in my review. That was the one thing that I really enjoyed because it was and and clearly this comes from my dislike of being in the heroine's head, which I had the same problem with Twilight, not surprising. That was the only voice I liked. And he was, you know, one or two paragraphs per chapter. I mean, setting aside the I idea that this billionaire has all this time to write email to this co-ed, put, put that whole thing aside. He was the only voice of the thing I liked. Yeah, I did think that they those were um, clever. I, I swear to God, I read that somewhere. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I, I remember reading that and thinking um, that the best part of the book, like you said, was it authored by James herself, <laughs> that it, it came from a friend of hers. Oh, my gosh. Well, I have a couple. Well, a couple is two, right? I have more than two. I have like eight recommendations for Kendall. So get ready. Um, and if you're thinking, crap, I have to grab a pen and write these down. No, you don't, because we have show notes. And in the show notes, I always link to every book that we discuss so that if you're curious about them, you can go find them. And if you are thinking, I want to read more historical epistolary romance, I am here to help you out. First, I will link to the good shit versus shit to avoid epistolary romances um, post from 2012 there are a ton of options in the comments both contemporary and historical there's a couple of really good books recommended so if you're curious that entry is a good place to start and i'll make sure that i link to it but i have more i love epistolary books even the ones that aren't primarily romance so i've gathered a couple of my favorite historical ones as well as some books that i've seen mentioned as being awesome and some that aren't quite romances, but have a lovely, lovely quality to them that I think sort of matches what Kendall liked about the books that she mentioned. So first off, 84 Charing Cross Road by Helene Hanf, and the follow-up is called The Duchess of Bloomsbury. They're both memoirs because this actually happened to her, but it's about a correspondence between a woman in New York, the author, and a bookshop and its manager on Charing Cross Road in London. It's not a romance, but it is so incredibly lovely. And it has a kind of a warmth and charm to it that I think is one of the things that's so wonderful about historical novels that are told in epistolary style. It's a little easier to sink into the world because you're sort of overhearing people's conversations and, and you know, snooping through their letters, which are published for your enjoyment. It's a kind of an intimacy that creates a world that I just, oh, I love them. So this is one of my favorites that I reread a lot, although it's not a romance. The other book that I recommend often and I, and I frequently send to people who I know who are grieving is the Guernsey and Literary Potato Peel Pie Society by Annie Barrows and Marianne Schaefer. This book was kind of read by everyone everywhere a number of years ago, but it's also epistolary. It takes place during World War II. It doesn't have a romance. There's more of a, a mystery element to it. But what it does have is that same sort of escape quality. And I hate using that word because it's as if, you know, our lives are all so miserable that we must escape the reality into the fictional world of our books. And that is, in fact, what I do. But it's not because my reality is horrible. It's because I like to travel and travel is expensive. But books are on the couch with me. This is a way in which I traveled when I was reading it through time. And I was 
so absorbed into that world. And that's one of the reasons why I send it to people who I know are grieving, because it sort of, it gives you a break from whatever is really, really pressing on you. It lets you escape into that world where there's a different set of problems, but also an enormous amount of, I keep saying warmth, but it's the best word for it. It, it has this wonderful quality to it. As for romances, oh yes, I have a few. In addition to My Dearest Enemy by Connie Brockway, which Jane already mentioned, there's Love in the Afternoon by Lisa Kleypas, which has a number of uh, letters inside it. There's Attachments by Rainbow Rowell, which is not historical, except it takes place during the 80s, so it's kind of historical. That's told through email. It's not quite the same as Epistolary Historicals, but I loved it in much the same way. Sorcery and Cecilia, or The Enchanted Chocolate Pot by Patricia Reed and Carolyn Stemmever, or Stevemer, Stevemer, I apologize. That is the beginning of a series, and it is so incredibly charming, I can't even tell you. And the book is told through the letters between uh, Cecilia and her friend, as they are in two totally different places trying to solve the same mystery. It's just wonderful, and there's more, so you should start there and keep going. One last book that I want to make sure that I mention is called Letters from Sky, and it is by Jessica Brockmull. Now, I haven't read this, but I read about it on Heroes and Heartbreakers when I was researching some recommendations, and it caught my attention because it has all the things that I like. It is a story told in letters. It also features parallel storylines. So if you like these sort of time slip qualities of Susanna Kearsley's novels, this might appeal to you as well. The heroine of the story that takes place in 1940 is the daughter of the woman who is the heroine of the storyline that's in 1912. There's a whole bunch of mystery and it's historical fiction with romance all tied up in it, but it's letters and lots and lots of letters. The reviews are kind of mixed. Some people loved it because of the quality of reading the correspondence, but other people found that the, the characters were a little too simplistic for their tastes. Either way, I still want to read this because letters and also Scotland and historical and letters. I don't know what it is about the letters. Maybe it's the, the nosy quality, but oh boy, do I like epistolary romances. If you have some recommendations that we have missed, and likely we have, you should totally email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. Next week, I am doing listener email. So if you have ideas for epistolary romances that you would like to share, please email us and give us your recommendations. Also in next week's podcast, in case you're curious, I have a ton of recommendations and discussions about clergy in romances. If you were thinking, I would really like epistolary romances between clergy, maybe we'll find something, but probably not. And now back to Jane and me discussing what Jane's reading, because she's taken a risk on Anne Bishop, and now I'm going to do it too. Which is great, because if you haven't seen the covers of these books, the heroine has hair that I, I kind of covet. I've never coveted a cover illustration hairstyle, but I really like this one. So what are you reading? I don't remember. Did last time I talk about the Anne Bishop books? Anne Bishop. No, I don't think so. But if you start talking about it and it sounds familiar, I'll stop you. Anne Bishop, as you may or may not know is on my list of authors I never trust because she did this horrible thing in a series a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So she came out with this new series um, about shapeshifters and everybody loves them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not going to read them. I'm not because I don't trust her. I was all <laughs> petulant in my bedroom, and, you know, 
um, deleting the emails and stuff like that and trying to just ignore the existence of these books. But for some reason, I can't even remember why, um, I got book three in the series Hmm. in my, um, yes. And I started reading it against my better judgment, Sarah. Why did you do that? And it was really good. I don't know. Yes. Really good. So then I read the first two and it was really good. And now I'm hooked and I can't wait. I know. I know. I do it to myself. But this is the, I think it's called The Others. I, and you really like the Charles and Anna books, right? I do. But, okay, so then the, this has the same, it reminded me a lot of Charles and Anna. Really? The dynamic. What's the first one oh, yeah. called? I, um, gosh, why do you ask me these hard questions? I know. I'm, I'm a horrible person asking you things. It's, uh, I think it's written in red. Uh, it's a novel of the other. Yeah. Written in red is the first one. Murder of crows is, and a vision in silver is then as the, the third one. And it looks like they're coming out like once a year. I mean, geez, what am I doing to myself? You're doing something terrible to yourself and I'm very concerned. I know, but they're really good. I'm going to reread these books. And if she does something to the main two characters, um, I don't know. We might have a misery moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I actually think you'd really like that. Cause I would recommend those books written in red murder of crows, vision and silver to anyone who likes the Patricia Briggs alpha and omega series. You're really hitting my button here because I reread cry wolf at least once a year because it's so Oh my good. God. It's so amazing. Right. It's so uh, good. What happens is this woman is a, blood prophet and what happens she cuts herself and then she sees a vision and these uh blood prophets are sold or kidnapped by their families uh, for their own good uh to sanatoriums is that the word for it Mm -hmm. okay and so they're kept there because blood prophets will often go crazy and kill themselves because right. the need to cut themselves is so strong Yikes. that, and they don't know how to control it, that they end up killing themselves. And they say that a blood prophet only can suffer so many cuts in her lifetime before she's going to die. Mm-hmm. So, so you have this impossible setup. Meg, the heroine has to cut herself at some point. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she'll go crazy. But eventually, she'll suffer so many cuts, she will die. And you don't know how many cuts she has at the beginning of the story, but it's a lot. Oh, so boy. she escapes the sanatorium with the help of another blood prophet. And she's found um, by the shapeshifters. And I can't remember where the story is set because the setting doesn't bother it was an important to me. It's the people that are important to me in this series. And Simon is the alpha of this community. And it has a lot of similarities in terms of like there, there's conflict between the shapeshifter or others mm-hmm. and the humans. And they're trying to merge politically. And there's a lot of racial animosity uh, in, in, toward them. Mm-hmm. 
so there was one awkward moment when Simon and and um, his people refer to the humans as monkeys. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was, yeah, I know. It kind of seemed discordant to me when I read it, but the the rest of the book really is kind of a sensitive look at uh, otherness. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel like it was meant to be pejorative in any way. And the series follows these two people, right? The Alpha and the Blood... Um, the Blood Prophet. Blood Prophet. Right? The romance is a super slow burn. Like, it's barely there. But they... Ign- they acknowledge that something's happening and like um, Simon doesn't even understand his reaction toward Meg and that he's falling for her and people are kind of like teeing in the background. <laughs> that sounds like, cute. that sounds like um, the Mercy Thompson series. Well, I mean, I felt like the dynamic was more Charles and Anna, but, um, but you might see it more Mercy and, um, Adam, I, I, I definitely think it has that Patricia Briggs vibe. Um, not that I think that Bishop is copying her in any way. No, obviously. no, no, totally. It's a flavor thing, not a copying thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, it's just, I think it's a great series and I'm worried, very worried, <laughs> really worried. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing. <laughs> In the Black Jewels trilogy, it's all it's set up from the beginning that Janelle, the heroine, dies at the end. She has to make the sacrifice in order for her people, for everyone to be free and for the big bad to be destroyed. And I kind of feel like that's what I'm being set up for. And I want there to be some miracle ending where Meg doesn't die from the last cut because she's away from, you know, that people are trying, starting to understand what blood profits are and that there's ways to control it and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I, I'm probably doomed. <laughs> this may be another book that you should read on that cracked HP that you had that you chucked at the wall. <laughs> that one has already sustained damage. Maybe you should just load this on that and then that way if it hits the wall again, it's not a great loss. So the other book I just recently read is... Raised by Tilly Cole. And I was reluctant to buy this book because I have read a previous Tilly Cole and really didn't like it. Um, but I broke down. And you are just weak. <laughs> I am the weakest person ever. I mean, pretty much you can talk me into anything. This is excellent. I will store that knowledge for later. So, anyway, I bought the book. And for one thing, I feel like she's grown as an author tremendously. I mm-hmm. thought it was a much better written book than the football book that I read. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunately for both her and I, I don't really know anything about the Russian mafia. So she could be making it all up. And it, you know, uh, unlike in the football book where I was like, this could never happen. <laughs> um, it was an interesting book. It's pretty violent. I thought some of it was gratuitously violent. There's a lot of raping and happening. And when I got to the end of the book, I couldn't, one of my major problems was that the heroine was so passive. There was this, she's engaged to, uh, there's like th- three heads or bosses of the, uh, this Russian mafia. And one of the sons is dead. The other son is disappeared. And then there's the crazy son. So he's the heir. And then there's the daughter. 
And so they're going to get married. So they're engaged. And he um, just treats her terribly. Um, he's, was ter- he's obsessed with her um, to a criminal degree. Yeah. And, and he abuses her. He, he rapes her regularly. And on scenes are described in great detail. She never tells her father who is the head, who is shown to, you know, be very protective of her and to not allow this other, this, her fiance, the abusive one, get away with stuff. So I felt like she did nothing to improve her circumstances. But then as I was thinking about it, well, isn't that the classic example of an abused woman? that she's in an abusive relationship. She's ashamed of the abuse that she takes. She thinks that, that she's in love with her abuser. Uh, so am I being critical of abused women by wishing this character had acted differently? And mm. was this author just really good at creating the, uh, the abused woman profile? I, I, I don't know. I was at odds with myself this morning. One of the things I will say about this book is it's very emotional uh, and it was unique. I felt like I hadn't read the story before and that what that the world building she did for the, the Russian mafia was sufficient enough that I believed in this kind of implausible setup. Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost alt reality setup, but I believed in it because she did a good job of constructing that world. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel really conflicted about that book. I, I, I know you won't read the Tilly Cole book because of the subject matter and the yeah. violence and stuff. Yeah, I was but listening I to you someone, and I was but, like, no, that's not for me. Yeah. So I wish someone would read it and we could have us talk about this battered woman. And, you know, if, you know, I don't know. I was just like, hmm, am I being overly judgmental here? In any event, Let's talk about the Aaron Sadie. You pronounce her name. I don't. I know. think I thought I don't know if it was Sadie or Satie, but oh wow, was that some elegant historical romance? I I realized so, that I have a definite thing for competence porn, and the heroine was so competent, and there was so much information about how she did what she did, and it fits so deeply into her character that she would create ink that had long lasting um, permanence because she couldn't remember and had no permanence in her life because she couldn't remember things very well. She'd lost her family. Her status and standing in society had been lost. And so the idea that she would go out and create permanent ink makes total sense. Plus, you get to see all the ink making, and that was so cool. So cool. I definitely have a quirky female competence porn thing that I didn't realize I needed to indulge because that just made me so happy. Well, and I have to say that I think Satie or whatever her name is. Let's call her Erin. I know how to say Erin. Okay. <laughs> We're horrible people. Integrated <laughs> ink making so well into the story that you didn't feel like she was hammering you over the head with some history lesson. Yes. Every time she revealed something about ink making, it was integral to the scene and it, it wasn't forced. It was all really effortless. I loved the world building. I felt like I was there in her brewery where she was stinking it up with her mold, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I loved how competent she was in running a business. Yeah. And that she was, and that, that it was hard for her 
to know that she was doing well and to be proud of herself that she had interest from these huge government offices who wanted to place all of their ink orders through her company because they'd heard how good her ink is but that she had to be the only person who was proud of herself because no one in her family was going to celebrate that she had done well in business because that's so far beneath her. Yeah. And I thought that the suspense of who done it was really uh, well done. Although I didn't understand why it was so important for them to, for the hero to discover who had done it. Yes, that's totally true. The mystery part was not as strong for me. And the parts that were devoted to that, I was kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back. Ink. More ink, please. I wish to hear about <laughs> inking, inking and smelly things and having to find a, go, go find another warehouse. That was awesome. Go find another one. I like that part. <laughs> Clearly, I am the most difficult to satisfy reader. And I feel guilty about that. <laughs> Well, I thought it was a terrific book, too, and I would recommend it to anyone who likes kind of Courtney Milan or um, Teresa Romaine. Who's the other author? I, I know Teresa Romaine doesn't was... like doesn't like work for you as well. But the the style of writing no, reminded me a lot, uh, reminded me a lot of the things that okay. I really like about Romaine. I don't know why I don't like Romaine more. I should because she has interesting characters. But, um, you know, her voice and my reading uh, taste just don't coincide. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking about someone else, Carolyn Jewell. Um, mm, did you yes. read Carolyn Jewell's latest release? Her, it's not. It's like two months or three months ago. No, I don't think it's I real, did. It's really good. I mean, if you've liked any of her books in the past, you would like this one. Is this what's it called? Scandal? I think so. I, her her names are not distinctive enough I, that I can't. I can't tell them apart. No, Scandal was published um, in 2009. So clearly I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let's see if I can find it. It has a black cover though, right? I don't know. It, it came on my ebook reader. I, it starts, those start on page one. Don't <laughs> we don't even see like. the cover anymore. <laughs> Covers? What are those? We don't need those. Screw it. Yeah, don't, don't take them away though. It's my favorite thing. Okay, now I have to find um, it and I can't I saw... find it. You know, Gina Showalter is writing contemporaries, mainstream contemporaries. Did you see that? Really? Yeah. So now it's like, yeah. So like, okay, um, Elizabeth Hoyt, um, Courtney Milan. I, I mean, I don't know who else. Are They're all writing contemporaries. And now we have the um, paranormal authors leaving paranormal <laughs> to go write contemporaries. I just remember it was like three or four years ago. We're like, oh, they're very contemporary. I know. We don't need to save them anymore. We saved them. You know, this is all our fault because of that campaign. All of this is happening because of us. It's our fault. I wish that were true. I wish that were true because <laughs> then we could start new campaigns and revive old favorites. What would you revive if you could revive something? I think. I, I mean, I think that there are books written everywhere that we want. It's just a matter of finding them, but it's really hard. Like, people are like, download samples. And I'm like, yeah, but then in the entire night reading samples. I did that. It didn't work out <laughs> well for me. Because all too often, the minute I public, when I, I read the sample, and then the minute I get past the sample part, everything falls apart. It's like somebody hired an editor, but only for the sample. Well, I mean, that happens, too. Um, sometimes the samples don't work for me because I'll just start reading the sample 
And I'll be like, uh, I don't know. I'll yep. go down to the next sample. And then I've read samples for like two hours. Yep. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to bed now. <laughs> and you didn't quite get your fix, but you got enough. <laughs> I know because you read a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah, it was it was all I, cumulatively what I was looking for. <laughs> um, yeah, so samples are tough. I, Angie James is a huge sample reader. I don't know. She makes choices based on samples. She's a smart consumer. I'm a dumb one. Yeah, but I can't, I can't read, like my, my taste and Angie's don't line up either because she's willing to tolerate things that I can't tolerate in a book because she's after something different in that particular novel than I am. And so I can't like, I can't, oh, I agree. she's willing to over, and I, I, and I'm trying to say this in a way and I, cause I don't want to sound like, you know, Angie reads poorly and I read brilliantly cause no, that's not what I'm saying here. <laughs> Although it sounds a lot like that. It's not what I'm trying to say. She is willing to tolerate things that I find completely intolerable um, because she's after the, the the content of the story or something about the story. It's like the difference with me and other readers with Kristen Ashley's books. There, there are readers who are after the emotion that she is so good at writing down. I can't get past the stuff that is in between me and the emotion, so I never get there. So with, with Angie, she can manage or overwrite or just completely reinvent in her head the things that I can't get past because I can't do that. You know what I'm trying to say here? No, I understand. Okay, good. Because either, either way, I sound like a giant asshole. And Angie's going to, if she listens, she's going to be like, no, it's not what I do. You go to hell. <laughs> but you, you guys don't have exactly matching taste either. There's a book she recommended to me the other day and I could not get into it. And I kept texting her and I'm like, what, what, what was, what, what, what did you like about this book? I'm at this point. Should I keep reading? <laughs> I didn't keep reading because she said that there was no point if I didn't like it up to that point. But it, <laughs> when she says she likes something and it's like, well, gosh, what am I missing here? I'm going to keep trying. So I'm going to go back to that book. And try to figure it out. I'm not going to name the book, though. <laughs> I have to find what you found in this book. That happens to me a lot, all, all, especially with you, even though I know our tastes are wildly divergent um, in the reading sense, not in the dystopian YA sense, that you will love something and I'll be like, I want to find what you loved, but I don't find it. I can't. Where? Could you just tell me what page it's on? Because I don't know where it is. <laughs> Because, you know, when someone is excited about a book, I want to be that excited about a book. If someone's totally excited about and, and loved a book, I totally want to have that same experience because I love to enjoy books. That's kind of why reason why I do what I do. But I, I, if I can't find it, I just 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 tell me how you got there. Tell me what I need to do to get the feeling that you got because I'm not finding it. And it's, clearly there's something wrong with me. Always my first assumption that there's something wrong with me. Well, there is. I never wanted to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Finally letting me know. I, I just laughed so hard I scared the well, dog. Well, there's clearly something wrong with me because I'm not liking this book that uh, Angie liked. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Something wrong with both of us. But, you know, many, many people would line up to tell us what's wrong with us. I have people telling me what's wrong with me every day on my Twitter feed. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. 
And that is all for this week's podcast. Thank you to Jane for hanging out with me on Skype for an hour while we talked about books. Next week, I will be doing listener email. So if you want to send some, that would be awesome. Our email address is sbjpodcast at gmail.com. I'm going to be reading lots of different messages about clergy and romance, how people interact with their libraries, more information about how come the books you donate don't make it into the collection, which is something I kind of wanted to know and now I know a lot about. I love the fact that the internet just lets me learn all these things. Anyway, if you have some ideas for epistolary romances or you have a book you'd like to recommend or a book you want to tell everybody about because it was so awesome or it filled your pants with rage, sbjpodcast at gmail.com is where you should send all of that information. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Wicked All Night, the latest sizzling hot novella in the Wicked Lovers series from New York Times bestselling author Shayla Black. Download it on January 20th. And if you hadn't already guessed, the music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is Calgary Capers by the Pete Bog Fairies from their album Dust. If it's not Deviations Project, it's Pete Bog because awesomeness. And also I figure Calgary is probably colder than where I am right now and maybe where you are right now. And I think that we should all do a guest podcast episode somewhere very, very warm, like the equator, maybe. And you can all come because it's no good for us to be warm and for you not to be warm, right? We should all go be warm because, wow, I'm tired of it being cold. But I figure Calgary, colder than where I am, so maybe I can either feel superior or very, very sorry because the cold hurts my feelings. I take it very personally. Either way, wherever you are and whatever you are doing, Jane and I wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.